Some cars are comfy on the inside but don't have power on the outside. And some cars have the horsepower but none of the comfort. I used to think there weren't any cars that were the total package. But that all changed when I got my Honda SUV. It's rugged and sophisticated. And right now, Honda has deals on the entire Honda SUV lineup. CRV, HRV, Pilot, Passport, you name it. So if you're looking for a car that's the total package, the only place you'll find it is at your local Honda dealer. Hurry before they're all gone. This week on Not Sam Wrestling, we get to know the new voice of Monday Night Raw, Vic Joseph. We take a look at what happened on SmackDown. We look at the week that is going to be professional wrestling. Happy Monday, everybody. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. What a way to start the week, huh? What a way indeed. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling, your Monday home for Not Sam Wrestling. That's right. (laughs) Welcome, everybody. I hope you're all caught up by now. Gave you the weekend to listen to Thursday, Not Sam Thursday, where we caught up with everything that had gone on over the week. Really, I mean, and I love doing that show because it does give us a little bit more time to cover everything that's going on because there's so much more to cover now. But, you know, talked a little bit about the Bruce Pritchard-Eric Bischoff switch. Really spent a lot of time talking about how great NXT was last week because that's one of those things. I think with all the attention that uh, AEW's getting, I think with all the attention that SmackDown's getting, being on Fox and Raw is getting, being that everything's been shaken up, we got to talk about NXT even more than we already are, and we did that a lot over on the Thursday, Not Sam Thursday edition of this podcast. If you're not getting both episodes, make sure you're subscribed on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, however you get your podcast. Subscribe in all the places if you want to make sure that you get those episodes, or just join us on Patreon because a uh, lot of content, a lot of content exploding at you. Uh, and the content doesn't stop in audio, video of all the interviews constantly going up. I think uh, three or four new interviews went up on the YouTube channel for everybody to see over the weekend. Um, of course, all of the video interviews go up first on the Patreon page, but they make their way to YouTube, and throughout the week, there will be uh, everything that you've heard over the past couple weeks on the show, interview-wise, is going to be up over at YouTube.com slash NotSam. Of course, uh, we got a lot of SmackDown to talk about, uh, the Raw preview for this week. Uh, maybe you spent your weekend watching Bound for Glory, Impact Wrestling, had a big pay-per-view to uh, kick off, uh, I, I think, I, I don't know exactly when Access starts for them, but I think this is the last hurrah for all intents and purposes before Impact starts uh, doing their show over on Access, so, so much going on. So much going on. We'll try to cover as much as we can today. But you know the Monday show is all about the interview. And I told you after a couple weeks of doing shows where we had multiple short interviews, all of them really good, by the way. Hope you guys have gotten a chance to listen to all of them. Um, I think my favorites from last week were probably Charlotte and Bobby Lashley. And then the week before, the Candice LeRae interview. And that will be up on YouTube if it's not up already. The Candice LeRae interview was just, I mean, I just loved that one. So check all those out. But today we go back to 
the tried and true formula, and probably, if I'm being honest with you, my preferred formula, which is the long-form interview, where we sit down and we actually have a chat and we get to know somebody. Um, these are, I think, uh, the interviews that just have the most value, the most meat on the bone. We're not looking for quotes all the time. We're just looking to have a conversation and to get to know people. You know, I feel like a lot of you guys a few weeks ago got to know Baron Corbin a lot better after, you know, he spent some time sitting down and doing the show. Uh, this week, we're getting to know Vic Joseph. Vic Joseph, I think, surprised quite a few people when he popped in uh, in September. He popped into that Monday Night Raw seat. Not September, I guess. Well, let me see. I think SmackDown was like October fourth so it might have been like the last day of September or something like that but for the raw season premiere he sat down along with Dio Madden and Jerry the King Lawler as the new play-by-play man for Monday Night Raw and not for the day but but for the foreseeable and we talk about it in the interview there's really not been all that many permanent play-by-play men or people I should say Although there's only been men that have done play-by-play on Raw. Renee was an analyst, I believe. Uh, but there hasn't been that many play-by-play folks to to take that seat at Monday Night Raw. I mean, think about it. Who do you got? Full-time? Vince McMahon, certainly. JR, certainly. Michael Cole, certainly. You know, you've had... Uh, Kevin Kelly did some shows. Uh, you know, there's not that many people that have done it full-time, and Vic Joseph is now sitting in that seat after being in WWE for about three years. He was doing 205 Live, he was doing NXT UK. He popped in um, over the summer, I think it was in August, uh, Corey Graves was not on an episode of Raw. Jerry Lawler took his place, Jerry Lawler got taken out by The Fiend, and they brought in Vic Joseph, and people were like, oh, he's better than Corey Graves, but... We talked about this when it actually happened. He really wasn't taking the place of Corey Graves. The subtleties that you have to notice are that Michael Cole actually uh, metaphorically moved over and Michael Cole took over the duties of Corey Graves as the analyst and Vic Joseph came in and did play-by-play. I guess they were testing the waters because come to find out, Vic Joseph is the guy. Now, Vic is a guy I've known for, I guess, the whole, I think pretty much the whole time I've been in WWE. Uh, I think that a lot of people don't really know where he came from. A lot of people don't know that Vic Joseph is like the biggest wrestling fan you'll ever find. That Vic Joseph came up in the indies doing indie wrestling commentary, which especially for play-by-play guys, you just don't hear about that much in WWE. Uh, he also did mainstream stuff, though. He also did stuff outside of wrestling, uh, which we'll get into. We'll talk about all that. I mean, I think that our connection uh, really started to form because... And we'll talk about it in the interview when I had my collapse. So WrestleMania uh, in Orlando, I think it was WrestleMania 33. Yeah. Yeah. WrestleMania 33, I think, would have been my first uh, WrestleMania with WWE. And it was great. WrestleMania 34... I want to say, was the WrestleMania in New Orleans. And that's the WrestleMania where during the pre-show, I completely collapsed on camera. It's only really happened once in WWE, but it happened on the pre-show at WrestleMania. Not only was it not my finest moment, 
It was literally my worst moment in my entire time in WWE thus far. And I don't see how it could possibly get worse. But the reason that I'm connected, that moment connects me to Vic Joseph, is because Vic was getting ready to call his very first match at a WrestleMania. It was the Cruiserweight Championship match, him being the play-by-play guy for 205 Live. And of course, my and uh, action is on the way was a throw over to Vic Joseph, who now not only has to get out of his own head uh, for being nervous about being in his, in his first WrestleMania, but has to sit there and uh, and cover and just go like, okay, I don't know what the hell Sam just did, but it's time for me to be a professional. If only one of us is going to be a professional, better it be Vic Joseph than yours truly. Well, after all this time, it time, finally came time for Vic Joseph to sit down and be a part of of Not Sam Wrestling. Uh, We did this interview a couple of days before Hell in a Cell, so we talk about uh, what it was like his first night doing commentary on Raw, how he found out he was going to be the play-by-play guy for Raw. We talk about uh, how he got involved in wrestling, his journey to WWE, uh, how he was preparing for Hell in a Cell, the first pay-per-view that he was the main play-by-play guy on representing Raw, and a lot more. Um, I'm glad that we have this opportunity to introduce you on a more intimate level to the one and only Vic Joseph. The Not Sam Wrestling Interview. For the first time here on the podcast, uh, he's the new voice of Monday Night Raw. Sounds so good coming off of your beautiful tones, Thank you very much. (laughs) Vic Joseph is here. Vic, I mean, it kind of goes without saying, but what's the haps? What's the what? (laughs) That's right. What did you just say? What's the haps? The haps? What's yeah. happening? Sure. Just say what's happening. Right. I hate TRL. It's Total Request Live. It's uh-huh. not TRL. I was T- first of all, TRL hasn't that, been on in like... I'm just saying, that was a big <laughs> like, thing for me years ago. No, just say it, BRB. No, just say Be Right Back. Right, right. Um, I see. You're not an abbreviations guy. You don't like the abbreves. No. I, no. Oh, my gosh. Uh, lots going on, man. I mean, it's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, apparently. So... It's wild. Yeah, you... you you are the voice of Monday Night Raw, and that's to say, obviously, it's you and Dio and Lawler, but you being mm-hmm. the play-by-play man, that's your kind of position. Mm-hmm. And I think it struck a lot of people by surprise, you know? I think it did, too. And, and I will say this, that I have had you know friends and family go, oh, my gosh, you're the voice of Raw. Or yeah. That. And I go, nah, I, I'm, the, I, I'm the lead commentator. All three of us are the voices, as you pointed out. I also don't think that there is a one single voice in the WWE anymore because there's so many shows. There's so many things we do. Uh, Super Showdown could be myself or Michael Cole or it could be Tom Phillips, you know, network specials. So um, I'm just throwing that one out there. If there was a voice, though, I would still have to say it's Michael Cole, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it definitely has to be definitely uh, Michael Cole. But I, I do think that the selection... Caught a few people off guard. Um, I've gotten a lot of wonderful comments from people on social media. So for all those that have sent me stuff, thank you. Um, but I think it caught people off guard in a good way. You know, yeah. I, I mean, I, I didn't read. It's fresh. It's yeah. It's new. It's fresh. And I think it was nice that people got a taste of what you sound like. I mean, people obviously have heard you before mm-hmm. on Two Hundred Five Live and stuff like that. I think more often with the Two Hundred Five Live stuff on the kickoff shows, yeah, and yeah. when those matches end up on pay per view. But I think that the the sort of general population of wrestling fans really got a taste like a month ago or whenever that was, right after SummerSlam, right uh, yeah, when yeah, the, yeah. when the King got taken out by the Fiend Oof. and and you came in, and you know it's so weird. Because I take for granted 
the little that I've done, you know, in the wrestling broadcasting world that kind of the I understand the roles that people play sure. in the commentary booth. And I take for granted that people don't. Like, a lot of people didn't really grasp that what was happening there was that people said, oh, well, Vic's going to replace, Vic should replace Corey Graves all the time. Right. And I was like, but he's not. I'm not Corey Graves. I'm not. If anybody, Cole replaced Graves, he moved over. Yeah. You know, and, and took on that role of analyst. And you came in and took Michael Cole's role we just on switched, that night. We just switched hats. I love when yeah. I get the... Uh, the tweets, my perfect announce team would be Vic Joseph and Tom Phillips. And I always go, we're the same. We play the same role. You know, facts, it's baby. Just give us the facts. It's just, two guys <laughs> giving us the facts. We're very analytical now. <laughs> yeah. You know, but, you know, like it caught people off guard. And, um, I, again, I think it was in a good way. And when I was preparing, and we, and we bring up Tom Phillips, and I have to say that I wouldn't be prepared as I am now if it wasn't for Tom Phillips. Mm-hmm. Tom Phillips spent countless hours with me in the Performance Center in Orlando helping me, molding me into what's right, what's wrong. Obviously, I put my own little twist on it, um, but you know, kudos to him for preparing me for the opportunity. But it, it does sound a little different you know, sitting in that chair because to what you just talked about, I remember, I mean, Raw, Raw was like the show. That was like as my childhood, that defines my childhood is Monday Night Raw. Right. Beer baths, smell what the rock is cooking, Degeneration X, you know, all that. And that's why you end up being thrown into this, you know, uh, uh, title of the voice of the WWE. I think it has everything to do with the fact that for all these years, Raw has been the, the flagship show. show. Yeah, Right. So it's like, and you're right, that's the show that we grew up with. Um, and I was, I was thinking about you because, and we'll get back to like, you know, finding out that you were going to be on Raw and, and all that stuff. But I also think that... People don't realize that you not only grew up a huge, huge, ridiculous wrestling fan, but that you came from wrestling. Like you were doing indie wrestling. Yeah. You were, like this is you were doing wrestling commentary before you got to WWE, mm-hmm. which is kind of atypical for a WWE play-by-play guy. Very, very much so. In um, December 2009, so I'm actually coming up on my 10-year wrestleversary. Is when I first so stepped in. You don't like abbreviations, Russellversary, but you like. Well, I'm not like going to say. I'm not going to say anniversary. Anniversary. Russellversary. In the world of wrestling, it molds itself. Right. It's no, not an abbreviation. Right. Not, you know, we'll get into it later. Technically. All right. Whatever. Um, you know. So it's been ten years, and I'm sure we'll get into what I did before. You know, the WWE, but I did everything outside of wrestling to make myself marketable. For the WWE. So funny. To be very honest. Right. But I also knew that... Because you were enough of a wrestling fan yeah. to know that the WWE is attracted to people sure. who have experience outside of wrestling. I mean, you just take a look at some of the hires that they've made you yeah. know, over the years. And I knew that, okay, this is an avenue, but if I get there, I better have an idea of what I need to do. And I got very lucky. You know, people laugh when I say that Johnny Gargano is one of my best friends. The first day that I you ever stepped wish. in, the first day that I ever stepped into a wrestling show, mm-hmm. Johnny Gargano was there, and he has been with me every step of the way from my first show to him getting signed here to me coming right after him to him being already in the performance center when I arrived. So ten years ago, was like okay, and I did the first match. The first match I ever called 
was Naj the Wild Samoan. Of course. <laughs> teaming with, I forget who, to take on Corey Winters and Corey James. Oh, the Corys. You're laughing. That's what they were. They were the Corys. <laughs> the they looked nothing alike. They were two guys <laughs> thrown together, and I was calling. I it. And it's like they share a first name. That's so it. So they're not even family. Nope. Like they just happen to share a first name. They look nothing alike. <laughs> yeah. And uh, I was calling that match with a, uh, a gentleman by the name of Aaron McGuire, and when I got done, I didn't know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And Aaron looked at me and said, you're going to be just fine, and patted me on the back. And that and so was it. What do you do in that position? Do you try to just sound like the announcers that you grew up watching? I did it as if it was a sport. Huh. Because that's what I knew. That's, that's what my background is. So I called the moves. He told the story. I knew nothing about storytelling like I know now. I just was out there calling moves and, and getting lost in it and being excited because at the end of the day, and I still am a huge wrestling fan. And I think that's also something that shocks people back to not only getting the job as a Google my name and go to my Instagram and go to my Twitter and things like that. They start to find out, oh, he's actually a fan of wrestling. Like a fan fan. Like a fan fan. Yeah. So um, it, it's, been, it's been wild, but yeah, I'm a, a huge wrestling fan and I just started doing it that way. And then, you know, getting in a car with Johnny to go to a different promotion, meeting, um, you know, a, a former WWE superstar, Rhino, who is as close to me as anyone. He said, get in the car with me. Just drive with me and I'll teach you. So on my off days, Mm -hmm. I would fly myself back from wherever I was to meet up with him, to get into a car, to drive city to city, to sometimes sleep on the hotel floor or even in the car at a pilot. Mind you, I'm calling, working for the NFL at the time and stuff like that, but um, (laughs) there's this guy out here just driving around. So Rhino's going to gigs. Yeah, and I'm with him. And he's like, you just tag along. And he taught me. Because I like hanging out with you. And he saw that I was driven, and that I actually wanted to do it, and he wanted to help. So so there are people in the wrestling industry that are just like, I want to take this. Because wrestling knowledge is like, who are you going to share that with? You know what I mean? You have to. So they find people that, like, that person's driven. I want to kind of pay it forward in the business and pass this knowledge on to somebody younger than me. Yeah, and and from, you know, first it was Johnny, then it was Rhino, another former WWE um, superstar, Tommy Dreamer. Tommy said, hey, I have this promotion I'm starting. I want you to call the matches. At the beginning of House of Hardcore. Correct. He told me that the day of the first show. Mm Mm-hmm. In his kitchen, <laughs> and, in Westchester, and and, and what were in New Rochelle? Yeah, yeah, New Rochelle, right there, the best Chester. And so, um, that's that's where it began. And then he was teaching me, this is why you need to do it. This he was preparing me for the WWE, as if he knew that someday I'd end up here. Mind you, I'm still doing. CBS Sports at the time, right? NBA Finals, World Series, things like that, while I'm doing this, and I'm driving myself, flying myself, because I knew how great of an opportunity it was, and I knew that I would have limited reps. People don't understand how important reps are oh my in God. calling wrestling. It's not that we just sit down and then turn it on and we just call stuff. It, it's it's not that mathematical. So that's, that's the room that we're in right now. That's oh, yeah. why the walls look like this. This isn't an upgraded uh, Not Sam studio. This is actually the uh, newly renovated broadcast room at the pc voiceover booth voiceover booth voiceover booth that's i forgot verb which is important it's very it's very important (laughs) i caught mcafee on the kickoff show he said belt 
Nope. He said, it's a championship, championship, brother. Belt holds up your pants. <laughs> and then Walmer on TV just looks at me and goes, yikes. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, this is so – I mean, you're getting reps by obviously doing the shows, but when you're not on TV calling wrestling, especially when you're first starting, mm-hmm. you're in this room or a room like this watching wrestling matches and finding people to call shows with. Yeah, so when I got here – yeah. When I when I signed in January seventeen, man, for four hours Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, it was myself again, Tom Phillips, Percy Watson. All we did was call wrestling over and over. I can't tell you how many times I did the same main event match mm-hmm. over and over and over Lots again. Lots of Dana Brooke, and so there was a lot of Dana Brooke. Yeah, uh, and nothing wrong with that either. Phenomenal athlete, also Cleveland native. <laughs> um, but yeah, and, and you just there's only so much you can learn there. And then within four months, I was put on main event. Uh, a month later, I was on 205 Live. Six months to the day I signed and started, I made my Raw pay-per-view debut. Great balls of fire. That's the pay-per-view to do it at. That was it. So, and is that right? Because the cruiserweight championship match—that's when they started getting added to pay-per-views. Sure, and then that, and then that. Now you August. Gotta, I did SummerSlam, right. and that was crazy to me because one of the first events I ever went to as a kid was SummerSlam '96, Sean versus Vader. Mm-hmm. And then I did Survivor Series. Then I did the Royal Rumble, and I'm like, no way! Within a year, I'm going to go do WrestleMania. And did you not even want to utter the words like, "I'm not going to"? I'm not even going to talk about. I'm not going to talk about it. But this is a fun story. You and I are forever linked in my WrestleMania debut. I know. I did everything in my power to just ruin it. It was awesome. Because it wasn't my WrestleMania debut. It was my second WrestleMania. So you screwed my WrestleMania debut up, you selfish yeah. bastard. My second one. My first <laughs> WrestleMania was fine. Mm-hmm. Second one was horrendous. Third one was great. You got me for the second one. I, I, could only, <laughs> <laughs> I could only imagine what was going on in the truck because, back to being a wrestling fan, I was in that arena – in New Orleans for WrestleMania 30. Right. And I was sitting in the chair getting ready to call my first WrestleMania match, the finals of the Cruiserweight Tournament, to yeah, determine yeah. a new champion. And I'm turning around looking at the seat that I was sitting in, and they're going, are you okay? Mm-hmm. Are, dude, you, are, can, you, can you not hear me? Can you not hear me? We're going live in 45. And I hear you talking, and then you lost whatever. <laughs> and, like, and then what you're like, ah. Uh, <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, wait, what's going on? They wait for me. I turn back around, and all of a sudden it's like three, two, Finals of the Cruiserweight Championship. <laughs> and I was like, man, yeah. it was so cool. I mean, literally, my, my definitely my worst performance. That was your finest moment. In wrestling. Maybe my worst performance in broadcasting. I'm sh- on the I've, grandest I've, stage of them all, I've Sam. I've wondered a few times in radio, but never on the level of like, okay. And by the way, it was also the first hit. It was the WrestleMania pre-show. So it's mm-hmm. WrestleMania already the biggest show. It was the first hit that was live on the USA Network. I was going to say, that was the top of the hour yes. hit. And that was when we did the double. So we were on USA Network, Twitter, WWE Network. We were Everywhere. on all of it. Yeah. And that, and was, that my, was the first face you saw, and he screwed it up. That was my and action is on. Oh, the, it was great. It was, yeah, you can find it. Hey, we're it. live, pal. Yeah, was, we were, yeah, we were live, pal. <laughs> yeah. That was great. Yeah. But then you somehow, you made me look even worse by coming out of it not screwing up. And, and then that's what like, I'm paid oh, to do. Oh, well, yeah, me too, but I didn't do oh, it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably really jinxing myself now, so the next time I get up on Monday Night Raw on the USA Network and I have a blunder, I'm just going to be like, ah, I Sam Roberts did. Yeah. Then we'll start. Yeah, and, oh, yeah, and everybody will know. t-shirts, brother. <laughs> everybody will know. Print it. Um, so, 
So that's a major goal for you. You have your WrestleMania match. You're going through pay-per-views. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, 205 Live has all of a sudden become this, like, gift for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're not the, you know, not the most people in the world paying attention to it on a week-to-week basis. But what it does is it gives you those reps. It familiarizes you with this whole different product. I'm sure the audience that does watch 205 starts to become very loyal to you because... Amazing, by the way, amazing product. Those guys... And the, and, sh- and the show is incredible. Uh, I, I, the, the talent so much from Ali to Buddy Murphy to Cedric Alexander, that's when I was there. Yeah. was during those... And now you see, I mean, what Cedric Alexander's doing, what Ali ha- has been doing, what Buddy Murphy beat Daniel Bryan and, and took... It's 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 amazing. It's yeah. an amazing show if, you, if you've never really given it a chance. You definitely should. watch it you Friday should. nights. And I think that's what it is. That's what it ends up being like. It's not the fact that it's not a good show. It's just mm-hmm. that people... There's so much wrestling that people have to draw the line somewhere and they don't give it a chance because... I mean, I've talked about it on the podcast before. I think if people did give it a chance... You wouldn't not watch it. Like sure. it's 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 that good. But it ends up putting you on pay per view and everything. Did you have any idea well what were you doing um at CBS Sports when you were doing you're doing independent wrestling yep. slash slash traveling with Rhino. Yeah, that's it's I have a story about that too. Rhino's young boy. No, I don't go that far. <laughs> uh so I uh out of college I started working essentially with the Cincinnati Reds, uh-huh. uh, you know, and affiliates and things like that. And so I already had a nice little groove. Were you calling games? No, I was almost maybe going down that path to doing that as a full-time gig. It was brought to my attention. But, but you wanted to be a wrestling announcer the whole time? The whole time. Okay. My, my entire dream since I was a kid was to get to the WWE. Right. And even um, my family the other day were laughing you know, when I made my, well, no, it wasn't in August. It was, just, it was when I made my actual debut, um, for raw where they, we, sorry, we ever doubted you, <laughs> you know, it was one of those things. So you start on, you know, doing radio, um, local high school games that then went to, um, I did Boise state versus Michigan state. All of a sudden I'm doing, you know, the ESPN game of the weeks mm-hmm. and things I went to CBS, um, sports, my whole, other career goal was to do CBS in Cleveland to cover my hometown teams, radio shows, um, TV, sideline reporting, journalism, digital, whatever it was. And I got to accomplish all of that. And when I went to CBS, I had a weekend show. I was a sports anchor in Cleveland. I was part of their daytime, morning, afternoon, and even night radio shows, their national shows, and covering sports. I did four NBA finals. I was part of the media whatever you want to call us, when they won, when the Cleveland Cavaliers won the NBA championship. So, so that was... Not only are you covering your home team, but you're covering their championship win. The first one in 52 years. Right. You well, know, probably so, on you. Huh? That's probably all you. Uh, it was, uh, I'll take every credit. But, <laughs> you know, I saved my credential. I still have the credential from totally. that championship year yeah. and, and all those games. And then uh, the Indians for a World Series. Unfortunately, my all-time favorite team is the Cleveland Browns, mm-hmm. as you know. And I was there during the Johnny Manziel days. <laughs> and so... That was a low. (laughs) The last season I was with the Browns, they went 0-16. That's on me. Especially when you know what winning feels like. Yeah, it's it's like this is the other end um, You know, being a part of Browns games at halftime, doing the halftime show on their network, um, doing in-game reporting on the network. You know, it just – all sorts of stuff. Yeah, sure. I did the Olympics for CBS. I covered the Summer Olympics Mm -hmm. um, for basketball. And it was all to get here. It was all (laughs) to get to the WWE. And and people, well, that was a career in itself. I go, yeah, but look, I'm not 
muscular. I'm not going to be a wrestler. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to get to the WWE as a announcer if you don't have some sort of sports credibility. And I did all that to get here. But when I got here, as soon as that door shut behind me, mm-hmm. that's where I left it. Right. Because now I'm WWE. Right. Now I start over. Right. And that's always been the mindset that I've had is whatever is the next step, whatever got you there, gone. But I just think that's such an important lesson that, like, it's not enough to just do part of it, right? Like, you had this goal and you lived the goal. Like, not because you're not here, so you can't live being here. But what you can do is live the pursuit of being here. This is deep. Yeah, I think it's true. I think that's the way people – it's the only way it happens unless you just get lucky and, and that doesn't happen. Oh, it, it so, was it was a lot of – and it, it's not, it didn't happen overnight. I remember getting in a right. car with a gentleman by the name of Zach Beatty, who was my broadcast partner for a very long time. We drove to the last exit in America on mm-hmm. I-75, Sault Ste. Marie, Michigan, to call a game – they didn't have a phone line for us to call back to the radio station. So we had to use a tape recorder and sit in the crowd. And I did it for a rep. And it was weird because that game when it got put on air, yeah. someone was driving through from baseball, or I'm sorry, ESPN, that heard the game. And I'm talking a city that you could spit and <laughs> reach the other end. And that's what got me to go to to do a game Boise State Michigan State. Right, and that would have been the easiest thing in the world to skip. Like let's 100%. just not do this. I could I could have been like, you know what? I don't want to fly in this <clears throat> right. week uh Rhino to go to drive 9 hours to get back on a plane to fly back across the country to, to not go even cover, do anything. To, not even doing, not even get paid, help right. him pay for gas, things like that. But I would never would have met Tommy Dreamer. Right. Hey, do you want to do this show? I don't have anything to pay you. Well, it's a great experience though. I'd love to do it. But th- but that's like I feel like there's not that many people that would be smart enough to do both at the same time. You would either do a whole bunch of indie wrestling, and then after eight months when WWE hasn't knocked down your door, you're like, well, this is stupid. I'm out of here. Or you would get the jobs at CBS Sports and everything else you were doing, and you'd kind of be like, well, I don't need to do indie wrestling. I'm doing sure. CBS Sports. But but like the idea that this builds the resume that's going to impress a company like WWE Meanwhile, even though indie wrestling is completely different, it is an experience that's going to lend itself to make it so that when I show up in WWE, it's not unfamiliar. Oh, and there's so many. It's, it was weird. When I first got to WWE and at NXT, Ruby Riot worked with her since my first day, again, in wrestling. Um, love her. She's amazing. Uh, speedy recovery. She's on the shelf right now. Can't mm-hmm. wait for her to get back. Johnny Gargano, we've already talked about that. Uh, Ember Moon, I met for Cedric Alexander, Tommaso Ciampa, you know, Luke Harper, uh, Robert Roode, Eric Young, and the list goes on and on. Sarah Logan, Ray Rowe, I mean, yeah. of all the people that I worked with on the indies that I turn around and I'm sharing a locker room with now in the WWE, and it's, it's... all because we had the same mindset. Yes. We weren't going to be told no. We were going to open every door. We are going to try every avenue because at the end of the day, our goal was to get to the WWE. Since yeah. I was a child, my goal was to be a WWE announcer, not a WWE performer, a WWE announcer, to do WrestleMania, to quote-unquote, as we talk about, be the voice of the WWE, to do Monday Night Raw. Mm-hmm. Those were all goals 
of mine. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because, like, it, it, it just – it's nice to see because I've had a similar experience when I was doing, like, a whole bunch of indie wrestling stuff in Jersey. And you look around and it's, like, a lot of the – the people that are here should be here. Sure. Like, you're not sitting there going, like, oh, I never thought that guy would make it. You're like, no, I I thought – You that could guy. see it. And, and, yeah. and it's so funny to me when you when you do get the tweets and things from wrestling fans all over the world. You shouldn't have this job. You don't deserve it. You know, X, Y, and Z. Well, what people don't see, and this is breaking I down. A, I get a couple of those every now and then. You know, <laughs> this is this is breaking down a wall. You know, I have a family member that's extremely sick. Guess who's not home with them? Right. Guess who's traveling on the road to work and then to read your crap tweets that you send me? <laughs> I don't need that. You know, it, people don't, don't see that. When everyone goes, oh, you guys live a great life. We do. We're very blessed, all of us. But all of us have missed birthdays. We've all not been there for loved ones when you know they're taking their final breath. Uh, you, people are in the airport all the time. You're delayed 10 hours, mm-hmm. and you've been there. Of then you course. get on a plane, you land, you got to go right to the show. You're tired. You've been up for 20 hours. You just performed. Hey, will you sign my book? Yeah, not a problem. Oh, take a picture with me. I'm not smiling, and now you're going to put it on <laughs> social media that so-and-so didn't smile, yeah, so-and-so's yeah. thrilled to be with their fans. You don't know the days that we have. And at the same time, when we meet fans, we don't know what type of day they've been having. Yeah, totally. And five seconds to sign a book or take a picture means the world to people. So it's a very, it's a very unique balance that I learned in those cars, hearing the stories. What not to do, what to do, and that really helped mold me and continue to push me and to continue my drive and to see, wow, how they change the world. Being here, one of the greatest things that I've had an opportunity to do, and it's because of you know Triple H and, and Stephanie McMahon and seeing what we do as a company with Connor's Cure, Susan G. Komen, you know, Hands Across America. I started, and this is this was publicized, but I don't talk about it much. Uh, I started help or help start a foundation in my hometown that gives essentially twenty thousand dollars for four years to a student. It's and so life changing. The the winner of this year's um, scholarship, her mom got a hold of me and said, "You, I don't think you realize, and this foundation realizes that you've paid." for a year and a half of my daughter's school. I didn't think of it that way. I just thought it was, hey, I want to be able to give back mm-hmm. because I've been given a platform. We in the WWE are given platforms to do good. You t- take a look at all, Titus O'Neil is a perfect example oh. of it. And I remember talking to Titus about this before I started it, and he helped me. And he said, this is one of the greatest things you'll ever do in this company because it's about someone else. And it, it just, it's its so wild to think because we've been talking about this journey. And sorry, I go off topic sometimes. We're talking about this journey of all the stuff that I've done to get me here. And I'm just getting started. But I realize the opportunities I have to give back, like Titus, like Stephanie, like Triple H, like the company does. There's also and, something about like your, your dream coming true yeah. that can be a little bit easier to swallow for yourself and can actually feel like it's a much more positive thing when you're putting positive stuff back out there, yeah, like and helping I, other people with opportunities like that, like this this girl who mm-hmm. now has her school paid for. What opportunities are going to open up now? And, and what I've what I told her, and what I've told all the other students that are going to win when I go back and talk to the high school, is I'm an example of someone who lived in the city, 
sat in the same chair you're sitting in right now in this school that I went out and lived my dream, pay it forward. The message is because of my friend Mark, who passed away when we were 18 from muscular dystrophy. He had a sticker on the back of his wheelchair that said, make a difference. Mm-hmm. He never was sad that he couldn't, you know, he was always positive. So the message is, make a difference. And being here with this company, you really can. You really get these platforms to go do good. I, I wish I was allowed to go do more, be a star rallies and, and make a wish and, and all that stuff because it's, it's, it's cool. It's a great feeling to be able to do that. You know who I learned how to make a difference from? Fatu. All right, I got to hear this story. Remember when he came out in that leather jacket and just make a difference? Fat oh, two? you're doing a gimmick thing right now. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. Yep. <laughs> so. <laughs> that was about the time, that was about the time, by the way, that I fell in love with professional wrestling. 95? Just, then? just. 94, 95? Yeah, and the, the story is this. It was 94. Bret not, Hart was not champion. The years in the world. No, Bret Hart was champion. Yeah. It was the new generation. Of course it was. I remember it was there. And um, I, was, I was a fan growing up. In the early 90s, you know, I remember Heaven and Hell, SummerSlam, you know. Sure. But it was 91. in that 94 year when Bret Hart won the championship, beat Ric Flair, I think, in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Well, he won the title. That was 92. Okay, so it was a little bit after that. Mm-hmm. It, was next, it was next run. 94, though, was when he had his uh, rivalry with Owen. So this was, he was facing Mr. Hughes. Yeah, of course. Yeah. It might have been 93. Was yeah, that, was, uh, that sounds a very 93. 93. He was facing Mr. Hughes at a live event at the old Richfield Coliseum, which was the home of a couple of the first Survivor Series. Yeah. And what does Bret Hart do before all of his matches? Puts the glasses off his head, puts them on a youngster's head. Sure does. And on one night, no. I was at Youngster. No. The first show I ever went to. I still have them. I just told Bret Hart that score story. How did you those front row tickets? My father, well, my aunt worked for the Cleveland Cavaliers who were playing in the Richfield Coliseum. My father lied to me, said we were going to an ISDA function. What does ISDA stand for? The Italian Sons and Daughters Association of America. I don't know how he came up with all this so fast, which, by the way, the ISDA is actually a real thing. And What a great dad, though. I love that. We walked in, and he, I saw the ring, and I was like, whoa. Walked down, whoa. First row, whoa. Savage, I forget who, I forget who Randy Savage was on that show. I touched his back. And I want to say Shawn Michaels may have worked Mr. Perfect. That sounds right. Maybe worked Mr. Perfect. I don't remember. But Bret Hart came out, put his glasses on me. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world. Because it is the coolest thing in the world. (laughs) I still have them. They're actually in my arcade in my house. Now, are they pre, like, did he sign them before he went out? There's his signature on them. I don't know if it was signed or if it was a stamp because it definitely has worn off as time has gone on. Yeah. And I just got to tell him that story. I've been wanting to tell him that story for the last three years. But I always feel he's like, yeah, kid, cool, go away. Mm -hmm. And I talked to uh, Natty Mm -hmm. and TJ Wilson. Mm -hmm. And I told them the story. You have to tell Brett. You have to tell Brett. So WrestleMania this year, I was coming out of catering. He was walking into catering, and we locked eyes. TJ had smartened him up that I was going to tell him the story. So I think he kind of – I think this is the guy. Mm -hmm. And I said, Brett, how are you, Vic? I just want to let you know, and I told him the story, and he kind of looked at me odd, and as he he was walking away, he goes, kid. I turned around, and he goes, thanks for always being a fan. And, and I was like, you- no, no, don't cry. Oh, my God, give me a hug. And, uh, so, did you look back at him like the commercial and go, it was my mean, him, champ. It was my mean Joe Green moment. Yeah. Like, I turned around, and I was waiting for him to throw me his jacket. You know, but, yeah, man, I've been a lifelong wrestling fan, and that's what hooked me to being like, this is so cool. So... At what point was the idea of you being the announcer for Monday Night Raw 
Like, did that even seem feasible? Because I would imagine that as you're doing 205 Live, right. you're like, this is great. I think I'm going to grow within this company. I think I'm going to be here for a long time. I think everybody's happy with my work. Mm-hmm. But I can't imagine that you were going like, and I'll probably be taking Michael Cole's spot <laughs> within six months. No, I never I never thought that because you always hear the, you know, you think about the show Raw itself. Yeah. And you think about uh, Vince to Michael Cole. Not many people have had that seat. Yeah, And no. now I'm sitting in it. And did it ever cross my mind? I'd be lying to you if I said no, but I certainly didn't think it would happen. If you think about me only being with the company for 33 months before you yeah. get you get that gig, and um, no, it, it's still it's still surreal, and it's it's it never really creeped in my mind. It was always there, but it was never something I was like, oh, I'm gonna do this for another year or so, and then I'm gonna go do Raw, or you know, and I'm gonna call the main event of this pay per view. And it, it, for me, it's been an opportunity to live out a dream to do a WrestleMania to now do raw. I mean, my first raw, think about how crazy this is, Sam. My first raw, I was sitting next to Dio Madden and Jerry, the King Lawler. We talk about raw defining my childhood. Well, that's the voice that did it. Yeah. I remember when I first did a kickoff show with Jerry Lawler, it didn't really click in until I looked at a photo after. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow. You know what I mean? Because that is Lawler it's, is that guy. It's nuts, and I'm like, whoa! I'm sitting here, and then all of a sudden, you take a look at the graphic that pops up. Still to come, Miz TV with the immortal Hulk Hogan and the <laughs> Nature Boy Ric Flair, and I'm sitting on the stage going, "Hulkamania is running wild!" As I hear, "I am a real American." What is this? Yeah, this is you know, literally. These are the calls that I made as a kid. It's it's. I have my Hasbro's figures back, yeah. and I'm getting ready to, you know, as my mom used to call the. Beep, 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 Boy, well, that's making me some money now, Mom, so <laughs> joke's on you. Um, so did you – I mean, did they come to you last minute? Did you know that this was something that was being thought about? I was told maybe the Monday before or the Tuesday before. I was told a few days before Raw uh, happened that, hey, this is what we're doing. And <laughs> they called us into a hallway. It was myself and Dio. And we kind of looked at each other, and then we – uh, is this a rib? Right. Like, are you guys serious? Like, here's the keys to the Ferrari. Have fun. Right. And it's so. There's a lot of. There's a lot of pressure because look. Back to Rhino, to Johnny, to Dreamer, to Tom Phillips, to Michael Cole, to the seat. I don't want to sit in that seat and embarrass any of yeah, any a of lot those of guys. Put faith in you and and entrusted you and like. Yeah, I mean, you don't want to embarrass yourself, but even more importantly, I think like. You want to live up to the sure. position so, that people have put that, you That's in. one thing I want to let you know, fans know is this isn't just a guy sitting in this seat that fell into it. You know, a lot of time went into it, a lot of of sweat and thought. And, and I mean, I got lucky, but I take this very seriously. Yeah. And, and, I mean, we've sat in the back during preparation. And, you know, to bring that wall down again, you've been, hey, what did you think of this? And I've said, well, here's why you need to do it this way. And then this should have been done here, and this is why. And there's so many moving parts to calling a match that so many people don't realize. And then when you put a three-hour beast behind it, like Monday Night Raw, it's 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 a whole different you know yeah a whole different game. But so man, it, what a ride! Is it scarier when you find out you're doing it with Dio? Not to take anything at all away from well, Dio, I was, I, I was working with Dio for a few weeks before that because he was on 205 Live. Right, but you so you're working with him, yeah. right? You know him, but you also know like it's one thing if you're like, okay, this is scary for me, but 
I'm next to a guy that's been doing raw for however many years. So whatever learning curve there is, he'll walk me through it. When you find out, like, no, actually, I'm the captain. You're going to be helping. It wasn't. It it wasn't nerve wracking because I enjoy being able to teach and, and and help. And Dio has been such a fast learner. I mean, look. People don't realize he doesn't have a broadcasting background. Mm-hmm. He didn't go to school for journalism. This isn't like a pipe dream college radio host that nope, he no clue what he was what what he was getting into. And when we go into that voiceover room, he's all ears. And you know we work as much as we can. We prepare for the show together. We figure out where we're gonna go. We uh, ride in the car together from town to town, which that's a whole different podcast to get into. <laughs> she should be in here for that one. <laughs> But on 205 Live, he'd make a mistake, and i go, and I, we'd watch it. I remember he, he messed up a graphic one time on 205 Live. And that week, we watched it over and over and until I, that you can't do that anymore, or you're not even going to survive being on the Cruiserweight show. He's just a quick learner, and he's been fun to work with, and he's different. That's great, though, and that he's he took awesome. that and, like, changed. Yeah, like, you like got that's it. Where, that's, where, that's where you know, like, okay, this is going to work. Like, it's okay to screw up. And the king's king, by the way. King and right, I didn't and then even talk. Have, it's sit down the, and let's go. Yeah, once you have the king, it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, he'll, he'll, he'll pull you out anything. I mean, he could sell a catch a pop school to a woman in white gloves. <laughs> you know, he's he's great. But, yeah, Dio's been very fast to learn. And the, the crazy thing that Dio and I talk about is if this works, mm-hmm. you and I are sitting in these seats for the next 10 years, 11 years, I mean, 12 years. They don't do Raw as temporary moves. No. They don't do anything on commentary as temporary moves. Look at Michael Cole and how many WrestleManias are we going to do? How many moments are, are, are we going to call? That's what I'm looking forward to is the moments that we're going to have. That yeah. we're going to be, I don't like to say immortalized for, but look, when Daniel Bryan won the title at WrestleMania, it's the miracle on Bourbon Street. Mm-hmm. Seth Rollins, the heist of the century. You remember those calls. I mean, go back to the nineteen ninety. Go back to Hogan Andre. Yeah. You know, you you the one that stands out for Vince is unbelievable, which Easter egg, I drop that in every now and again. That's awesome. Um But yeah, I mean think about like JR's calls during the Mankind Undertaker Hell in a Cell match. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think you could argue that that match m- is JR's legacy, you know, not to take anything away from him, but half of his catchphrases are from that match alone, mm-hmm. and those are the words that paint the picture of one of the most, uh, you know, famous matches of all time. So we're, we're sitting here and we're thinking, man, this is a whole new level that we never even fathom. And, and I've done, I covered a, a championship in my hometown city. Mm-hmm. I was with the Browns. I've done all the major sports events. I've called a match. I've called a championship match. At WrestleMania, but to think of having that legacy is scary too. At the same time, so we're recording this before Hell in a Cell. Mm-hmm. Um, so you got a pay per view coming up that you've got a lot of matches that you're responsible for. Calling two Hell in a Cell matches. Two By the Hell way, in a Cell never called a Hell in a Cell match. Of course not. I've only called one match longer than forty minutes. <laughs> Shout out Walter Tyler Bate, Takeover Cardiff for the NXT UK brand. Dio's never called a match over 20 minutes. Right. I mean, it's like it's, there's a lot of combustible elements that are going to come to play here. I love it. I love it. Sell. But so <clears> as <throat> we're talking, aside from the Raw that you filled in when Jerry Lawler, you know, got the thing with The Fiend, you've done one full episode correct, of Monday Night Raw. You've done one episode as this is my show, you know, the show that you're on. Um, 
was there a moment on that season premiere episode or just something where you were like, oh, okay, this is real or, oh, okay, this is what this is? It became real to me when Jerry Lawler's music hit and they said, guys, go. And you heard the ring announcer go, please welcome your raw commentary team, Vic Joseph. And I was like, oh, this is real. <laughs> and you go to the table and you sit at that raw announce desk and you put the headset on and the pyro's going off around you. Which, and by the, the way, is hot. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't there before, right? And, nope. And it's back. so hot. Yeah. And the crowd's going nuts. Ray Mysterio comes out. Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, I remember watching Ray and Eddie in the cruiserweight, I mean, matches these guys had in WCW. And then all of a sudden, those cords hit, and I turn to my left, and here comes the beast. And then Brock Lesnar decimates everybody. And I'm like, this is my job. Here we go. This is it. We're off and running. <laughs> here we go. By the way, fast forward, here comes Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair. Yeah. By the way, fast forward, here's a universal championship match. It's just, it's it's crazy to think that and it's I don't think it still has hit me because it hits me in waves mm-hmm. where I'll get a message from my buddies in college. We used to make hamburger helper beef stroganoff mm-hmm. and watch raw. I remember watching the twenty fifth anniversary, you know, you know, being there for a couple of these huge anniversaries of Raws and then remembering, oh, Raw one thousand, I was in college. Right. And I was sitting in my dorm area living whatever the heck it's called with my roommates and going to these shows, and it's going to be fun because coming up in a few weeks, Raw is in Cleveland. Oh, that's awesome. It will be my fourth Raw as the guy. And I I was at that Raw when I was in that arena, when Vince McMahon purchased WCW, I was at that Raw. That, that was in Cleveland, in Cleveland Ohio. That's so great. Uh, I was at that arena when the Hardy Boys and Edge and Christian had the Terry Reynolds Invitational Final Ladder Match at the pay per view. At the pay per view, No Mercy, which yeah. spawned the greatest wrestling video game in history. But that's a different podcast for a different day. Yeah, my favorite ladder match of all time. I was there for Unforgiven '08 when they had the championship scramble. Yep. When Brian Kendrick won the World Heavyweight Championship, shout out BK, uh, for a couple of minutes. Love Brian Kendrick. I was there for SummerSlam 96, Vader Sean, which also had the first Boiler Room Brawl. Of course it did. So, I mean, the first SmackDown. Yeah, There's the all first, these things I was so at. So you were in the audience for that. That was the one when uh, they didn't quite have the uh, technology of showing the audience what was going on in the Boiler Room down. And they just wheeled out like the type of TVs that you would get. During a, a you had like it was very it was movie. very odd. Like I think one I think like the vit- tr- Titan Tron that they had back in the day, which was like a video board of like six TVs. <laughs> like that's what played you the match. Yeah. Um. But you know I remember sitting in the arena for all those shows, covering the Cavaliers, their NBA championship, being there when they raised the banner, and now to go back to do Monday Night Raw mm-hmm. and to come out. Through that curtain being announced, I hope they say from Cleveland, Ohio, just so I get the cheap pop. And, <laughs> you know, it's it's crazy, man. You think of all the th- the things personally that I have left that I want to do. That's certainly up there. Well, you and said before mark. we did this, that you have one more goal. And when you know, obviously, there's a hundred and fifty thousand things you want to do, mm-hmm. but in terms of goals, there's one more. Yeah, uh, I'm glad we brought this up. So I've done everything career-wise. We've talked about that already today. 
Yeah, I not mean, at all. WWE now raw like yeah. There's little silly things like I'm on a Topps trading card. I remember collecting Topps trading cards. Mm-hmm. I used to have fake autograph signings where I would ruin Jerry Rice cards because I was fake putting my name on it in mm-hmm. the living room of my house in Cleveland when I was, you know, 7. Can I tell you something? Yeah. Topps made me a trading card, but go on. Well, that's cool. <laughs> Do you have it? Uh I mean, I am a house, yeah. They sent me like a bunch of them because I did an ad or something. But yeah, no, I they sent me some and I just was staring at these things. I put one in a nice little case. So in side note, in my arcade in my house, I have Bret Hart's mm-hmm. um, sunglasses, my trading card, the 1995 frame of Shawn Michaels winning the Royal Rumble as his foot is dangling. It's mm-hmm. the actual film that's, oh, that's slid so cool. into yeah, a, yeah. a collector's piece. What else is in that? I think that's it. Oh, the Pogs. Remember the little gimmicks? I have the WWF ones. Those are in there. Matt Caps and I don't think it – maybe it was Matt Caps and Slammers. Something they, like that. Yeah, they yeah, didn't yeah. They call them Pogs. They no. call them Matt Caps. But, I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah. So I have all those in there. And then up from that are all my WWF, WWE Hasbros. That, that's a whole different thing, but that's a whole – You have the whole set? I'm missing a few. I, I can't find Ludwig Borga. And when I, I did find tr- him, it was three hundred dollars. I'm not oh, yeah, paying three hundred dollars for a Ludwig Borga. You get the mailaways? I don't have the mailaways either. Yeah, yeah, the Are mail-aways. you on that? Oh, mailaways get pricey. I got the Hogan. Ryder has the. I think Ryder was telling me about some of those. Oh yeah, Ryder's got everything. He's got a bunch of things. You yeah. talk about a guy living a dream. Ryder sent lives me in a, a toy house. Ryder sent me a Ludwig Borga because he was so fed up with mine missing a finger. Ryder sent you a Ludwig Borga. Well, guess who's getting a text message as soon as this is getting done? <laughs> <laughs> Ryder's getting hit up. Find me a Ludwig Borga. Um, but you know, you do all those things. This is a selfish thing for me. Is going back and tying it to the start with Johnny Gargano. Mm-hmm. I want to call Johnny Gargano's WrestleMania debut, or just a WrestleMania match in general. That's the that's, that's, that's the last, last thing that I have that I want to do. I've done WrestleMania. Everyone says, "Oh, you got to do the WrestleMania main event." Yeah, hundred percent. I would love to do that. But in the Johnny Gargano main event, in the pipe dream fairy tale life that I've been living for the last thirty some years, if I could call Johnny's match on a WrestleMania, I don't care if he's in the Battle Royal. Mm-hmm. I don't care if it's a pre-show. I don't care what it is. That to me would be two strangers coming together however many years has passed Mm -hmm. that became lifelong friends i was in his wedding you know to have that moment would certainly rank very high on my list of to do's because again not many people get to say that they got to do what johnny and i are doing at this level let alone share in that moment so do you think about the fact that as of at the time we were having this conversation, as of two weeks ago, maybe even a little less than two weeks ago, it's actually fairly attainable. Like it is. It's it's so I did the um, takeover Chicago was the first time I ever did a long my own shot to fill in for Morrow. That's right on that takeover. That's right, and this ties back into the journey that Johnny and I have been on. My first takeover was Johnny main eventing. It was him and Tommaso, two right. guys that are family to me. It, it was crazy to think. The first time he did Madison Square Garden, I was there. So it's all these things we've tied in together, which have been weaved just so ironically that when he goes to WrestleMania, I just want to call one match of Johnny's mm-hmm. at WrestleMania. I've uh, 
I got to call Candice LeRae, his wife's. She's another f- close friend of mine, getting to call her WrestleMania debut this past year in the Women's Battle oh, Royal. Right. Um, another one for me was to call Ruby Riot WrestleMania match. I got to do that. And it, it just shows the bond that's created between total strangers that find their love of this industry and this sport and this art that grow together, that come up the ranks together, that get here together. And now for me, being able to call and voice that Gargano moment at WrestleMania is the last bucket list thing, wild dream scenario. It's not even that wild anymore. You know, for me, it's not It's not that wild, but that, that's something that would be very meaningful to me. Do you like storytelling better or calling moves better? I used to love calling moves uh, more so the high-impact moves, but yeah. now there's something about storytelling that has kind of bitten me a little bit. But what I'm trying to do a little bit differently is tell you the story while calling the moves. That's great. And that's kind of what I started doing on 205 Live, what I started doing on the NXT UK, and what I'm hopefully going to bring to uh, Monday nights while sprinkling in a Hall of Famer and, and Dio Madden. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not a bad combination. Um, who, who delivered the good news to you? Michael Cole. Michael Cole also called me when I signed my contract, or when, I was, when he announced that he was hiring me. He called my phone. I missed the, the call. Mm-hmm. He then sent me a text message. Mm-hmm. He then asked me if I, he had the right number because he had two numbers at the time because I switched phones. And he left me a voicemail and said, call me. <laughs> and I, I immediately saw the call. I ran outside. I was at my dad's. And I, I called back. I said, Mr. Cole, I'm so sorry. And he goes, what the heck? I go, I've been trying to call you all morning. I go, I'm so sorry. And he's like, "What is this the number you want me to call? And I said, yep. He goes, all right, you want to come work for us? Sorry, this isn't romantic. Yes or no? And I said, yes. He goes, great. X, Y, Z. And he hung up the phone. And I was like, oh, man, that was so cool. He was, like, he was trying to get a hold of me for four hours. And yeah. finally, he was on the treadmill running when I called him back. So I'm like, oh, my God, he's working out right now. He's got so many things to do. Yeah. I'm this a-hole who didn't answer the phone. And sorry it wasn't more romantic. And I, I always laugh about that. And then he delivered the news to Dio and I. He pulled us out of a production meeting on a Monday or a Tuesday before Raw. So it was like a week before, six right. days before. And he said, here's the deal. And he told us. And, okay, go get him. And he walked away. And Michael Cole's a man of very few words. He's, yeah. he's straight to the point. He's got too much stuff going on. And that's kind of how we found out. And then uh, I, I still haven't properly celebrated, like, oh, my gosh, Because it just moment. became real. And now, but now, it, now that it became real, now you're going. Yeah, now, now I'm going. Yeah. And, and to make it real, you know, I need, like, the Corey Graves of the world and the, and the Michael Mansuris to be around to – you know, do it proper, and you know Corey's on SmackDown, and, and and Michael's going back and forth a lot with NXT. So, it, it might take a while to have that proper celebration. Maybe it'll happen at Survivor Series. Yeah. Maybe we'll go to Chicago. We'll go to what's that pizza place, Giordano's or something? Yeah. Giordano's. Yeah. The Deep Dish Brothers. You said in the uh, a while back uh, we were talking about Rhino, and I was talking about traveling with him, and you were like, "Yeah," and there's a story there. Oh man! And then you didn't tell the yeah, story. Well, I wanted you to set me up for it, of but course. I actually forgot. So Rhino's a, a, a you, last professional broadcaster. That's very true. Yeah, that's very true. Um, that's actually a very good point. You know Rhino. You've yeah. met him enough. Mm-hmm. He's a germaphobe. Mm-hmm. Always washes his hands. It's you know puts the fist out because he doesn't want to shake that unless he Which knows you. Which is great because you wouldn't think a man beast would be a germaphobe. A guy who's you know six foot. 
300 pounds, yeah. throws dudes around for a living. Yeah. No, if you walk into his house, you have to roll your pant legs up so that your pants don't drag on his floor because he doesn't want the dirt from the bottom of your jeans and wherever you've been to get on his floor. This I is a mean, true story, by the way. I he also now lives it. on a boat. I'm just throwing that one out there as well. He's a, he's a marina guy now. He owns a marina. Big he Daddy's Boatyard. Boat. Lives on his boat. And when it's too cold, he goes into his house, which is on the marina. But he prefers his boat. Loves his boat. <laughs> he much rather prefers to stay on the boat. So he's a big, neat freak. Where we're getting in basically the gist. So he gets into the car, and he teaches me early on, the car is your home on the road. You don't have a messy car because you have a messy home. And you never know what show you're going to go to. You never know who's going to be there that's going to need a ride. And if their first impression is they're getting in this junk-filled, garbage-infested car, you're going to have a bad first impression. So the car is always clean. It's a fair point. It is a fair point. It's a fair point. So I think the loop we did was um, New York, Philly, Baltimore. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't remember the order. I think Baltimore was the last day, and I had to get back from Baltimore to Cleveland. By the way, Rhino loves to drive. He did not fly. He loves to drive. Even when he was in the WB, he preferred to drive. So we made all the towns, and I had to get back to Cleveland because I had an NFL Browns game because I was doing CBS at the time. I had to be at the stadium at 8 a.m. So I had to drive from an indie show in Baltimore, (laughs) which probably ended at 11 or 12. Yeah. Drive straight through to Cleveland to shower change to drive downtown to actually go to Work. Yeah. With no sleep. Right. After a weekend of wrestling. Right. Okay. <laughs> so we get there. He stays at my house. He gets in his car. He leaves. Next day I get in my car, which is now Monday. Go to work. Come back. This is the summer. So this is his training camp in a preseason game. <laughs> the heck is that smell? Wednesday goes by. Thursday goes by. Friday, I can't even sit in the car. I'm going to get sick. It's that nauseating. To the point where I've looked through this car, I can't find anything. Did did I leave an open can of, like, what is this smell? Is there nasty socks in here? Did Ryan leave his gear? I'm cleaning this car. The windows are down. You could, it just, you could see the green odor coming out of the car. It was unbearable. Mm-hmm. You couldn't really smell it, and it was, it, was making you, it was making you sick. And so I reach underneath his seat that he was sitting in, there's a half-eaten piece of tilapia. <laughs> There's been fish in my car for seven days in the summer. And I called him, and I go, dude, what the hell? And he go, oh, my fault. Still to this day, he says it was an accident. No way. Still, it was he's definitely a, on purpose. It was definitely on purpose. He would not have done that. Um, no. He would not have done that by accident. It was on purpose, 100%. So that kind of kind of got me. And then another time, he stole my uh, – he hid my tie – it was one of the first live events I was on for Raw, mm-hmm. and I was had my tie and my notes, my notebook with everyone's stats on it. He hid that from me. <laughs> and I go, where's my – I can't find it. He goes, I don't know, man. You're, you're clumsy. I go, ah. And he didn't tell me where it was until the end of the show. I had to go through the whole – he's like, I just – yeah, see, you could do it without him. <laughs> he's like, but I didn't hide it from you. Valuable lesson. Like, oh, my God. So those are the two – I'll That's never great. forget that one. That car smelled so bad. That's great. Even a lot after that. I had to get rid of it. Well, Vic Joseph, congratulations on everything. I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to come on this You're show. You're crushing it. Please, I appreciate you coming I on I just the like show. let your listeners know I've asked you six times to come on the show. You've denied me all six times. That's right. And then when you're like, oh, wait, you're going to be on You're on Raw now? Hey, would you like to do this? Could you come do the show? Uh, no, no all, all joking aside, <laughs> I do appreciate the time to tell my story Yeah. And, and to help out. Plus, when people come on the podcast, I always like it. When the story's there to tell, and it was always like, so do you like calling moves or telling? You're a big main event 
I don't announcer? Like, yeah, I don't like calling moves at all. You like, like telling the stories and yeah, making fun of people. That, yeah, it's great. You have Bianca Belair on yet? I interviewed her at the uh, Ooh, PC. How'd that go? It was awkward, but it was, was good. Was awkward? Yeah. Fun, yeah. It was actually, I felt very rewarded because at TakeOver, uh, you know, we were outside for the pre-show mm-hmm. and the audience was there and everything. And we actually played it on the radio because I hadn't heard the TV feed, obviously. But we played it on the radio because uh, Jim wanted to hear it. And when Charlie goes, you know, to my left here is Sam Roberts, the last professional broadcaster. Audible, with the music still playing, Audible, NXT Universe, Boom. But you like that, though. Love it. You love being hated. Love it. Do you know why Sam's arms are so long? To embrace all those that hate him. Bring him in. Yeah. Bring, Bring him in, in for a big hug. Because like Ply said, if you ain't got haters, you ain't popping. I don't know what that means, but I do know <laughs> that if you don't have people hating you, you're not doing anything right. And guess what? I'm doing so much you're doing, right. You're doing something right. And you know what? Somewhere, there's not that many people that hate you. It doesn't seem like. I feel like social media loves you. But I'm sure there are people somewhere that hate you because you are doing things right. Sure, and, and I appreciate anybody that always tweets. If you watch Raw and you send me any feedback, I usually don't read it because I don't get on social media, but I do go through it. I don't sit there and try to read every single thing. I'll sure. go through there and scroll like maybe for four or five minutes after the show to calm down. Kind of get what the collective opinion and, is. And I, don't, and I try to, if someone sends something nice or even you know creative or critique, I try to get back to them. Mm-hmm. I really do. And um, but I, I appreciate anyone that watches Raw and, and bro, and you're too is, big for that right been. now. You're the lead guy on Raw. Okay, you don't need to you don't need to deal with any of these people anymore. That's not true. See, <laughs> don't upset them. <laughs> I, it's funny because people go, oh, he, he he's he's sold out or he's he's so different. If you ask my collective group of friends that are close to me, they laugh and they go, he's never changed. Mm-hmm. He does the same stupid jokes. I still eat in the same pizza shop. By the way, I own a pizza shop, which is not the pizza shop I eat in. Um, cheap plug. <laughs> you know, yours. but it's it's like I still go to the same ice cream place. I still live in the same city. I've never changed. I never will change because at the end of the day, I have this seat that you've talked about because I'm a wrestling fan. I love it. Wise words. From Vic Joseph. Thanks a lot, man. Thank you, Sam. I really do appreciate it. Of course. It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Yeah, it is State of Wrestling time. Thanks for all Victor Joseph for being a part of uh, Not Sam Wrestling this week. Super, super interesting to hear his whole story. And uh, let's all go support him. He's a wrestling fan just like the rest of us. So it's, uh, it's super cool to watch somebody because I'm sure that on some level... Every person who's out there doing independent wrestling announcing has a dream of one day being the play-by-play guy for Raw. And to know that it happens, to know that it's possible, and to listen to somebody who had the work ethic um, and the wherewithal to just have this goal and stick with it and kind of go nonstop, I think it's something we can all learn from. So uh, let's learn from Victor Joseph, shall we? Congrats, Vic. We'll see you tonight on Raw, right? He's going to be in Cleveland, by the way. Cleveland uh, is his hometown. He was talking about it on the interview. If you're listening to this when the podcast drops, tonight is the night that they're going to be from Cleveland. Look, um, we're going to talk. You know, it is the state of wrestling. We're going to talk about basically what's happened since Thursday and what we can expect a little bit this week, Um, mainly on Raw, I think. So Crown Jewel is still not until next week. So I think that next Monday... We'll do um, a bit more of a of a, a preview of that. And since the podcast drop on Thursday now, maybe a week from Thursday, we do either 
an immediate reaction, a live watch along. Maybe we'll do a live watch along on on Patreon and then an immediate reaction podcast for the Thursday drop. Uh, it could be very exciting. Lots of stuff happening, uh, of course. So let's talk about SmackDown this week because we talked about everything else that happened last week on the Thursday podcast. But SmackDown this week, um, so, and you know, I, I think it went down a little bit in ratings again, but we don't know anything about ratings here. This is a wrestling fan podcast. We talk about wrestling, you know. Here's what they need to do to get up. I have no idea how to format a television show or how to, I don't know anything about numbers. I don't know anything about ratings. I just know about content. And I watched SmackDown this week, and there were some people who said that SmackDown still feels like the same old thing. And I think that's crazy unfair and untrue. I don't think it's true at all. You know, I think if you watch SmackDown this week, I think it looked more like what SmackDown is going to look like moving forward on Fox. We got an idea of what the roster was going to look like. We got the idea of what the presentation is going to look like. And that SmackDown show... Even when it's not either a draft show or here's our giant homecoming, everybody's here, first time on Fox, The Rock in the opening segment show. You know, the first two shows of SmackDown that we've seen on Fox, you kind of can't consider them the norm because the first one is the premiere and the second one is the draft. This third one felt like such a bigger show in presentation than anything that SmackDown has felt like before, ever. That, you know, I was kind of taken aback when people didn't give it credit for, for being that way. Not only just because of the pyro, but, you know, they use the the graphics that they really only use for big pay-per-views. Now they, and, and I felt like it felt more like it fit in with a Fox Sports presentation. When they use those big live graphics that they put on the screen where you could see the whole arena behind everything and, and the animations are going and everything, whether it be for certain superstars' entrances or whether it be to say, here's what's coming up next, and they put the presentation of the match over the live shot. Man, I thought it looked super cool. I thought it looked on the level of what you might see for a big NFL game on Fox. Um, and I, I thought it just felt like a bigger product. I felt like a lot of the camera angles they were using whether it be for entrances or otherwise, made everything feel bigger. I also felt like the pacing was super quick again. The pacing on the first episode was super quick. Some people said too quick. I don't think too quick, but some people did. But that's because there was so much to fit in because it was basically a super show. The pacing on this week's SmackDown was so much quicker and so much better than SmackDown's ever been. I thought that SmackDown flew by this week. I thought that they told a story... Uh, where what happened in the beginning of the show made the end of the show actually make sense. You know, you weren't just kind of given a match like Shinsuke and Roman. Because here's, here's the worry, right? Last week, we start with Roman and Seth, non-finish. This week, we start with Shinsuke and Roman, non-finish. But instead of just letting it be a non-finish and move on, they were like, okay, there was a non-finish here, so we're going to pay it off at the end of the show. It would have been... To me, a little cheesy if they had been like, and next week we're going to do this tag match. And I'm like, okay, well, I tuned in this week for something. So instead, they're like, no, we're going to do it this week. We're going to do it at the end of the show. Um, and I think that was good. I think that Nakamura, whether he won or lost, and he lost, obviously, but 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 I mean, well, technically lost by DQ, I guess. I don't know. He wasn't successful, right? He didn't get a pinfall victory over Roman Reigns. But Nakamura, I feel like, was elevated 
in a huge way on SmackDown this week. Kicking out of the Superman punch, having a match that was that competitive with Roman Reigns to start the show, like I really wouldn't have been shocked, and I talked about it on the Thursday podcast, if Roman had just steamrolled right over Nakamura and walked home with the Intercontinental Championship. But instead, they established Nakamura as a bad guy, high-level player. And that hasn't, it isn't something they've been doing lately. I feel like they've got a mouthpiece with him now. Clearly, that was a concern, I guess, that Nakamura not doesn't have the greatest English in the world, so maybe his promos would be a little bit lacking. I thought that they, I, I like what they've done with him in the past, where he's like sit, pretending he doesn't speak English and, and just kind of giving people nods and not talking to people. Like, I think that's a funny workaround. But Sami Zayn is a great mouthpiece. Having him there, Nakamura in the presentation that he's in, I thought it made Nakamura look better. Um, you know, I guess it was good that they justified Baron Corbin. What did they addressed the fact that Baron Corbin was not drafted high at all? Uh, but you know, I, they didn't justify. It. They didn't explain it. Like nobody sat there and said, "Well, the reason Baron Corbin was drafted so low was because I still can't justify that." And you know. If I, I'm 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 sitting here and I'm both networks, I'm questioning their judgment if Baron Corbin can go to the fifth round without being drafted, especially over like Umberto Carrillo, right? Um, so I still kind of need justification for that, but I hope that Baron Corbin carries it with him as a chip on his shoulder. Um, Drew Gulak shined, you know. Even and this is I mean it's a great lesson. Even in getting squashed, quote unquote by Braun Strowman, he was given 45 seconds of microphone time. And in those 45 seconds, he made me want to tune in. The next time I see Drew Gulak's face on SmackDown, I want to know what he's going to say. I like that that it's not like, you know, the stuff he was doing on 205 Live just doesn't matter. The stuff he was doing on 205 carried over. And now he's presenting this this character that has been established at 205 Live but is new to this whole SmackDown audience. I mean, Drew Gulak, who would have thought, you know, I think five or ten years ago, Drew Gulak would be one of those guys that's like, ah, WWE will never take him. But now you're looking at a guy who two weeks ago on NXT can tear the house down with Leo Rush in that Cruiserweight Championship match and then go ahead two weeks to SmackDown and give him a microphone. And he's entertaining people there. I thought he was fantastic. Uh, I I thought everything came up Gulak in that segment. I thought it was great. You know, I thought it was a good look for Braun Strowman heading into uh, uh, Crown Jewel where he's got his match with Tyson Fury. Just make him look like a monster. Here's Drew Gulak. And that's what I mean. That's one of those segments where everybody benefits from. It's a quick segment. It's short. But in that amount of time, they completely utilized all the time. Braun Strowman came across looking like a monster who can destroy everybody. And Drew Gulak came across as like a wiener heel who I'm interested in seeing what he's going to do next. Everybody comes out looking better in that segment. I wish all segments were that kind of uh, uh, on the money. You know what I mean? I thought it was great. Uh, We find out that, uh, well, we found out, I guess, earlier than SmackDown that Seth Rollins uh, wasn't going to be on Team Hogan. Not a huge shocker. Roman Reigns announced as the head of Team Hogan. 
So now you've got uh, Team Hogan, which is Roman Reigns, Rusev, Ricochet, Ali G, and Gable, who we'll get into in a second, uh, versus Team Flair, which is Randy Orton, King Corbin, Shinsuke Nakamura, Bobby Lashley, and another athlete to be determined. Uh, Ric Flair, by the way, will be announcing on Raw this week who the fifth member of, uh, of Team Flair will be. I would think it would be AJ Styles. I would think, you know, because unless you got it, you won't really want to do a U.S. title match. I mean, you've already got Nakamura on that team. He's the Intercontinental Champion. I would think that AJ Styles will be the guy that Ric Flair picks. You know, I mean, you could think about who you're pairing people off with. You got Roman Reigns and Corbin. You've got Rusev and Lashley. You got, uh, Maybe, I guess, Gable and Orton? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I guess it would have been Corbin and Gable and then Nakamura and Roman, but I think based on what we saw on SmackDown, that's changing. Um, It's surprising that Daniel Bryan isn't part of Team Hogan, but maybe Daniel Bryan's not going to be on the show. I know he hasn't made the trip in the past, so who knows? But I would would guess, if I had to guess, that uh, AJ Styles will probably be the guy. By the way, uh, Scoops Roberts did report first that the result of SmackDown with Roman Reigns versus Nakamura would be a no contest. That was reported here first. So if we could give credit to hack wrestling journalist, the last professional broadcaster, Scoops Roberts, Sam Roberts, I would very much appreciate that uh, going forward. Um, You got Flair on Raw this week. Flair, Hogan, Cain Velasquez, Tyson Fury, all promised for SmackDown next week. I would imagine Brock Lesnar will also be on SmackDown next week. I mean, technically, he is a SmackDown star. So that's a huge SmackDown that you've got coming up. Not next week, I guess. Technically, this week. Uh, aside from Flair... Uh, now, oh, and before we move on from uh, last week's SmackDown, Friday's SmackDown. Shorty G. Shorty G. Shorty Gable has now officially which it was rumored to happen, but nobody wanted to believe it, is now officially Shorty G. Now look, is Shorty G a great wrestling name? No, it's a terrible wrestling name. It's horrendous. But my only thing with this whole deal, and you can criticize this this element however you want to criticize it, but Chad Gable was never was not trending on Twitter. Chad Gable was not doing anything. And I'm not even saying that's Chad Gable's fault. I'm just saying that it's not like you're taking this star and giving him a name and it's like, oh, now how's he going to get over? How was Chad Gable going to get over? You know, he lost to Baron Corbin. He beat Baron Corbin. It was what it was. Even when he beat Baron Corbin, it was like, okay, that's cool. Chad Gable was having good matches, but that's it. People weren't behind Chad Gable. You weren't buying Chad Gable t-shirts. There wasn't an outcry for more Chad Gable action figures. It wasn't happening. So the fact that he delivers, he actually delivered a really good promo on SmackDown. If you're, if in order to get promo time for Chad Gable, and if in order to get him on TV more to have great matches, we've got to call him Shorty G, I'd say let's see where this trade-off goes. It's so funny too. Shorty G was trending on Twitter. And uh, all I did, it was trending number five on Twitter on Friday. 
And all I did was screen grab Shorty G trending number five. That's it. I didn't say if it was good. I didn't say if it was bad. I didn't say anything. That's just me being my trolling best. And people got so upset, pissed. It's not trending for the right reasons. First of all, I didn't even, I never even said, hey, see, this is a good thing because it's trending. I just pointed out that it was trending. But even if you are saying, well, it's not trending for the right reasons, there's no such thing as trending for the right reasons. It's you're trending or you're not. Now, look, you know, obviously there are exceptions to the rules. If there's some kind of uh, uh, scandal involving salacious and illegal activities, then maybe that's probably not trending for the right reasons. But if you're not going to jail and if you're not getting canceled, all trending is good trending as far as I'm concerned. Trust me, I've trended many times before. If you've checked any time I've trended for a WWE broadcast, it's never been good tweets. And I have never once said to myself, oh, I'm trending for the wrong reasons. Every single time I go, hell yeah, that's awesome. I'm trending. Now, I'm not going to read the tweets because they'll give me psychological trauma. But just to know I'm trending, good to know. So look, if he came out and said I'm shorty G and nobody reacted, then we're in trouble. The fact that he announced he's Shorty G and people reacted, well, at least we got something to work with now. At least there's something going on. And the promo was good. So, you know, I'm still sitting here and saying, let's see where it goes. Let's see what happens. You know what I mean? There have been more. Yeah, one, two, three, kid. One, two, three, kid was over like Rover. People loved one, two, three, kid. They were chanting one, two, three. One, two, three, kid is the dumbest name ever. Makes no sense. It's so stupid. He won one match and he's calling himself the one, two, three, kid. Why? Because he got one fall? Like, like he's so excited about having won one match that he named himself the one, two, three, kid. If you ask Sean Waltman today what he thought of the one, two, three, kid name, he'd tell you, I hated it, but it was too late to change it. But guess what? It got over. Because he got it over, you know? Let's see if Shorty G can get over Shorty G. It's a challenge. It's an uphill battle. Shorty G has got those quads, though. He's, he's, he's built to walk uphill. I think he can get her done. So aside from uh, Flair being on Raw this week to announce uh, the third member, uh, I mean, the, the final member of Team Flair, uh, already announced, you've got uh, Sin Cara, versus Andrade. They're billing it as Sin Cara's return to Raw. I would imagine this is going to be all, uh, all, all, all Andrade. You know, I think that, that Andrade is being built to shine on Raw right now. And you got a six-man tag. Street Profits are getting their first match on Raw. Now, I questioned the Street Profits as a draft pick on this here podcast because they've never had a main roster match. And they've really only had one match in NXT that's been really good that they've been successful in. Other than that, they've had three tag team title matches. They won one of them. The other two they lost. So, kind of weird to draft them that high. Let's see what they can do on Raw. Six-person tag. It's the OC versus the Street Profits and a mystery partner. Now, speculation is running wild. The Street Profits are still doing uh, NXT, and also Seth Rollins will be on Raw to talk about the burning of the Firefly Funhouse. Now, both of these topics go together. I know it sounds like a non sequitur that I just interrupted myself, 
But these two topics do work together. Because I have, I take an issue. I get that they're moving to Crown Jewel where they're going to have Rollins versus The Fiend, pinfalls count anywhere, whatever. Everything has been established on the draft. This was the first time. The draft was finally supposed to mean something. The draft was finally supposed to be permanent. And we don't have The Fiend on SmackDown. Apparently, he did a thing with Cesaro after the show went off the air, which is cool for the audience at home, but doesn't count for SmackDown, I don't think. So, you don't have The Fiend on SmackDown. But it sounds like you're going to have him on Raw. And the Seth Rollins-Fiend rivalry continues, even though The Fiend is a SmackDown superstar, so that match shouldn't be eligible to happen anyway. I don't like that this rivalry is continuing across brands. It doesn't make sense to me. Now, we move on to the Street Profits and who their mystery partner might be. The Street Profits still doing NXT live shows as of this weekend. I don't know if it'll continue now that they're starting on Raw or not, but at the NXT live show over the weekend, they teamed with Finn Balor in a six-man tag. It's led to some people, and I saw you guys chatting about it in the Discord room, although not Sam Shills on Patreon. They were chatting about it, saying, I wonder if Finn Balor is going to be the Street Profits partner in the six-man tag on Raw. Now, look, I could see that happening because if Finn Balor's music went off, it would get a reaction. People would be really happy to see Finn Balor. We haven't seen him compete on NXT yet, so technically it would be his first match back uh, since he uh, left after The Fiend took him out. However... Finn Balor has been established as an NXT superstar. I think that now that we've had the draft and we clearly know that nobody, nobody was a fan of the wild card rule. The last thing that you want to do is have Finn Balor be confused as to whether he's a Raw superstar or an NXT superstar. I don't think Finn Balor should be anywhere near Monday Night Raw this week. Not because I don't want to see Finn Balor but because he's in NXT. And if we want NXT to do well on Wednesdays, it should be special that NXT has Finn Balor. It makes NXT seem like a bigger deal. It makes Finn Balor's appearances on NXT a bigger deal. I mean, Finn Balor was the king of NXT. Finn Balor could get back to being a king if he just stays off these main roster shows. There's other guys that you can pick uh, in terms of the mystery partner for the Street Profits. Now, you could go with somebody who was undrafted um, because, you know, if, if there's any free agents coming back, now would be the time and that would be a big reaction. But I think realistically, you want to celebrate the Street Profits. You want to go, hey, everybody, we've got the Street Profits here. It's their first match on Raw. Why would they bring out, you know, a... a, a a third person to their team that's a bigger deal than they are. I don't think that they should. I think that they should bring out a current roster, raw guy. Um, you know, I saw some of you in the in the Discord room talking about maybe Alistair Black, that you'd like to see Alistair Black with the Street Profits. Um, I don't want to see Alistair Black with the Street Profits. I don't want that, like, sort of lone wolf, but he's a good guy, so he can be friendly with the other good guys thing from Aleister Black. I want Aleister Black to be a loner. You know, I want Aleister Black to be sitting in a room waiting for somebody to knock on his door. I don't want Aleister Black to have any friends. You know, I would rather see 
I want Aleister Black to have matches on Raw. Aleister Black m might be... He's one of, if not my favorite guy on Monday Night Raw right now. I think he's awesome. But I would rather see the Street Profits come out with, you know, you think about, like, who who could get a little bump who's a good guy on Raw? You know what I mean? It, you know, I think, like, an EC3 could be an interesting pick if, if Raw wants to shine a spotlight on EC3. Realistically... I think your best pick for the Street Profits third person is Umberto Carrillo. You know, I think that uh, Shelton Benjamin, if he's going to be a good guy, and Cedric Alexander both could fit that well. And I think Cedric Alexander probably would be the best. I mean, a match between the OC and the Street Profits with Cedric Alexander, incredible. You know, the stuff that the Street Profits do along with what Cedric Alexander is capable of, I think would be awesome. So I think... If I were to put money on it, I would put my money on Cedric Alexander as the mystery partner. Uh, if I were to say what I would pick if it were me, I would push hard for Umberto being that third guy because the OC is already going to get eyes on it. People like the Street Profits. They're entertaining. They're going to want to see the Street Profits for the first time. And the Street Profits say, our buddy Umberto is coming with us. Here he is. I think that that would be a big deal for Umberto. And I think it would it would elevate him quickly to being looked at as a star. And I think it'd be good, you know? I would pick Umberto. You know, you could put Buddy Murphy in that conversation too, but I think Buddy Murphy's a bad guy, so it wouldn't make too much sense. Um, yeah, I think the safe money is on uh, Cedric, but I think the smart money, the in terms of what's better for everyone, is on Umberto. That's who I want to see. Uh, all right, I think we've done a, a pretty good job of nailing what's to come. And what happened on SmackDown. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. We will see you back here on Thursday for the Thursday edition of Not Sam Wrestling. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast. Don't forget to join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash Not Sam Wrestling. Be a Not Sam shill. And uh, first thing you do, even if you're uh, an introductory indie uh, or, or, or money mark, four bucks a month, less than a dollar a week. Join our Discord room. There's people talking about wrestling in there all the time. Good people, including... One person that had uh, SVOHO, that's how I pronounce his name every time, who had that Not Sam sign shining brightly on SmackDown. He was one of ours, one of our Not Sam shells. So uh, join us in the Discord room. Become a member, patreon.com slash Wrestling. There's a link to the Discord on the Patreon page if you search for it. We'll see you on Thursday. Goodbye, everybody. Uh, let me hit this. Thanks for listening. Follow at Not Sam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. Rate, review, and subscribe. This has been Not Sam Wrestling. Not Sam.